0: Welcome back to the Love Intently podcast, friends. I'm Sophie Kwok, your host and the founder of Love Intently, where our mission is to empower you to have a thriving relationship with yourself and everyone around you. And this week, we have the incredible Ashley Budin. She is a speaker, community gatherer, heart encourager who inspires humans into emotional wholeness, real community, and bold leadership. She is the visionary behind the Perfect Boss, an international movement that shifts imperfections into superpowers and helps women lead with their whole selves. Ashley's campaigns of empowerment and vulnerability have reached millions of people over three years. She has been featured in publications such as Brit and Co, Mind Body Green, and Future Panure. It hasn't always been this easy in this way for Ashley. She grew up very soft-spoken and shy and often feeling like she was talking, but no one else was hearing her. This and other not-so-obvious trauma led to self-sabotaging behaviors, such as not taking care of her hygiene, losing her teeth, and struggling with sex addiction, which this is a topic that not many people talk about, but many people struggle, which is why I felt like it was really important to share her story on our podcast. It was so difficult for her to find support for her sex addiction, but she never gave up on herself. She began to create her own recovery program, hiring a therapist, recovery coach, and implementing non-negotiable self-care routines. In this episode of the Love Intently podcast, Ashley bravely shares her self-sabotaging behavior, where it came from, and the exact framework she uses to self-soothe and self-support. She gives amazing advice on how to set boundaries with yourself around sharing vulnerably on social media so that you don't end up causing yourself more pain. She gives specific examples of how she works with her clients to help them see their cycles and to disrupt them. This was such a powerful episode. I really adore Ashley and think she's an incredible human and is doing such, such, such powerful work. And so without further ado, here's our conversation. Ashley, one of my favorite questions to ask my guests is what were they like as a kid? So what were you like and what was your upbringing? Because I feel like it informs us and who we are today so much.
1: So, Yeah, I love that question. Uh, And I totally agree. So as a kid, I was incredibly shy and very quiet, very soft-spoken, you know, often felt like I'm talking. Is anyone hearing me? And um, this was really cautious and afraid. But inside, I was pretty creative, and I had a massive internal world. So I was always thinking and dreaming and processing and feeling. And my upbringing was a little bit chaotic, a little bit traumatic, but... um, you know, it was the best that could have been given to me. So that that lo- that sort of fear element was really played into because of that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of really hard for me to believe because you are so vulnerable and out there today with your message. And I am just so curious on what, like, helped you get out of your shell and what was that transition like for
1: you? Yeah, so... Well, I think like most things, you know, we have these defining moments and then it's more of a longer journey for to all unfold and integrate within us. But I definitely had um, a pretty, like, sort of like life-changing season when I was in high school. And I really realized that I had gifts um, to share with the world and that, like, that I just could not keep them inside And I started, like, very in very small ways, would um, start using those gifts and could really see, like, in front of me the impact that my gifts had on other people and how it could bring inspiration, how it could bring connection, how it could bring healing. Um, And I sort of became, (laughs) in some ways, I honestly became hooked to that and realized, like, I will live my life in such a way that makes sure that, you know, by the end of this thing, that there has been nothing inside of me that was not poured out at least once.
0: Were there people that spoke that into you or was it something that you personally saw?
1: Yeah. So by the time I got into high school, I really, I really did have teachers and and leaders in church that told me the good things that they saw in me. And because I did not have that experience at home, it's like that becomes sort of life altering in a way of being like, well, are you sure? Like, <laughs> and so then it, it sort of became like, let's try it out. And then having that experience of realizing it's actually true. And I actually have these things inside of me. So like, let's go. So I have a feeling
0: Imperfect Boss is not the first thing you've ever started. Am I correct? You're right. Okay. So what are, what's like the first thing that you started and what kind of, what are the things that you've started in between to lead you up to where you are today?
1: Well, (laughs) uh, there's, (laughs) there's like so many things, but I, um, one theme of things asserted has definitely been communities. Um, So probably my first one was when I was in high school, I started a a group called Youth for Change, and it was a youth activism group where I wanted us to get involved on issues that were facing vulnerable children globally. I would do things like (laughs) create bulletin boards in my high school, do like campaigns, And we, you know, like I would get my school to like sponsor a family for Christmas and like petitions, like whatever. And um, so I would say that was probably like the first element of me creating community. And then in my early 20s, I got into creating community online. And I have really had three strong online communities that I built. Uh, The first one was called In 2010, it was called Overcome the Lie, and it was all about encouraging women to overcome the lies that they believe about themselves. And then in 2014, I started one called Firework People, and it was kind of like a community for women to encourage them um, to use their gifts to change the world. And then in 2016, I started The Imperfect Boss, and which was is, is definitely the most um, far reaching one out of all of them. So like what
0: I love about hearing that from you is I feel like for so many people that are s- so terrified to start their first thing this is a really encouraging because it's okay to sometimes like different seasons come and we put down different things and we start other things and oftentimes it's not until like the third or fourth time we've done it until we actually hit some sort of stride or quote unquote success. So like, what was the inspiration behind Imperfect Boss and um, what made you kind of like step away from the other ones that you had started?
1: Yeah. So with both of the other ones, well, the first one kind of just faded. I decided that one was incredibly faith-based and I decided that I no longer wanted to do something face-based. I wanted to reach all women. And I just couldn't do that. I just couldn't do that with face-based Um And so then, then the second one was actually um, a very messy end. Uh, the community had a situation where the community sort of fell apart and it was very, very messy. And so after that I was like, well, I'm never running a, a community again, but you know like it's that it's always a thing of like when you like have a calling or gift for something, it's like you know it's sort of so determined in you. Um, like it's very stubborn.
0: Right. Like I always say that those things inside won't ever go away. So like if you have an inkling to write a book and you don't, it's never really going to go away. Um, So I'm sure just like what you're sharing with your communities that you started, if it's embedded in you and it's part of your purpose, it's kind of always going to annoy you and bother you until you do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I kind of just saw like a picture of like, I don't know why I'm picturing it like this, but, like, a little gremlin or something. (laughs) And they're just, like, knocking on the door and being like, you know, open it. And then once you do, it turns into,
0: like, something insanely beautiful. Not that gremlins aren't, but...
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm seeing it, like, as a cute little card. Oh, like a cute little (laughs) gnome. Yeah. (laughs) Picture it, everyone. Um, Yeah, but then the Imperfect Boss started because... Um, When that that second community fell apart, I had been, it was that second community that led me into full-time entrepreneurship. So then when that second community fell apart, like, I, um, you know, really needed a way to make money. And so I was in the entrepreneurship game and um, I was spending a lot of time in those days doing copywriting. Um, So I would work with clients and write websites and stuff. And then I would, like any other human being, I would go and look on Instagram all the time. And because I'm in, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm like mostly following entrepreneurs or people that I look up to, personal development type. And I was just so, like, I was just honestly so struck by the perfection and struck by. How much um, people weren't people weren't sharing like any of us were sharing. What makes it hard, and specifically for me, what was the thing that I felt the most was like it was so emotional for me, and it's still it still is so emotional. It's like the constant facing of myself, the constant facing of my fears. Yeah,
0: it's actually oh, that's so reassuring hearing you say that. Um, yeah, but. Yeah, continue with your thought. I wanted to follow up on that.
1: And so, I was like, "How is no one else like having meltdowns?" Mm. And I had this thought in my mind that I would never want—I would never want someone to follow me or to see my journey publicly and think that if they weren't experiencing all the success or all that highlight reel, that maybe I it on Instagram. Um, But that it's actually hard and it's messy and it's emotional. That then they would somehow make this conclusion in their mind of, like, I'm clearly doing something wrong. I'm clearly not cut out for this. Like, there's something, you know, how we, like, internalize it and say, like, there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Because that's how I felt, like, looking up to other people further along than me. And so I was like, we need to talk about this stuff. So that was honestly how the imperfect boss was born and it it was really one of those you know sort of magic moments I talk about where I was like I'm gonna start a campaign I'm gonna call it hashtag the imperfect boss and I'm gonna get people to share confessions and and like within 30 days uh, I launched our first campaign
0: It's crazy because I feel like this is a part of why we're in a loneliness epidemic. Um, I think, I, I think universally, I mean, anywhere where cell phones are prominent and smartphones are prominent, and I think a big part of it is what you're sharing about like just constantly seeing these perfect images, these influencers living this life that is often very unachievable for the average person and it's all like the highlight reel of their days but so much of being an entrepreneur of just being a human being is not just happy and dandy it's it's both and it's there's so much to it right i want to talk a little bit about your experience with sharing and how that's still sometimes like terrifying um, how do you get over those moments? Cause you share some of what I've seen as like the most vulnerable things I've seen on the internet, but also so insanely impactful.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting for me because um, I mean, at this point, like there's very little that would scare me to share. Right. Because I've shared like some of the, the most intense things that I've walked through. Um But, I mean, there were times, like, for example, when I was struggling with an addiction and I was in the middle of it and I ended up sharing it in the first campaign that we ever did together. Um, (laughs) I was so scared. I was scared of how people would see me or whatever. But uh, I think the thing for me is that I really try and focus on you know how vulnerability disrupts shame Mm -hmm. and it disrupts shame for me but it also disrupts shame for others and you know i remember a couple of years ago i did an instagram post where it was like i thought to myself what are the (laughs) what are the five things i feel the most shame about like let's talk about them all in one post Mm. um and just like this effort of like if i feel shame about something there's got to be another woman out there who feels the same way and so if I can cast sort of that light and liberation on it then maybe she'll feel a little more free and a little bit less alone but now like over time like I've really learned how to set boundaries as well with my vulnerability Mm. because it can really go both ways unhealthily oh absolutely (laughs) and uh and I've definitely like sometimes overshared through not recently but through the last 10 years. And so I have like some go-to boundaries for me. So one is that I never process anything for the first time publicly. Mhm. Two that um I never post vulnerably to get but always to give.
0: Mm. That's really good. Mm-hmm.
1: And three I never post about any- I never post about anything on social media that my close friends don't know about already. Yes. Like, if the internet's hearing you first before you're close friends, I think that's probably a problem.
0: Yes, I did that one time, and I've never done it again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because that to me says what there's something inside of you that's afraid of genuine intimacy.
0: Yeah, or you're afraid of what the people closest to you is going to think about it. And if you're afraid of that, it it almost, like, isn't healthy or necessarily, like you haven't gotten to a place where it's necessarily safe within yourself for yeah. that to be out there. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. What it has been the most vulnerable thing that
1: you've shared recently? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I really have like, my main two are definitely the addiction and losing my bottom teeth.
0: Hmm.
1: Those two are pretty vulnerable. And I have, I've shared twice about the teeth thing, but I had shared it recently about how losing my teeth was like a wake up to self-love.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, that was like more of a vulnerable way to even share about that story. Talk
0: to me more about that. How like one, if you don't mind sharing, like what yeah. happened there? And also how did that wake you up to self-love? Cause that feels so counterintuitive just
1: hearing it, you know? Yeah, true. Um, I would not prescribe it for anyone. If you want to grow self love, get all your teeth pulled. Um, <laughs> you did not hear that here. No, not recommended. Go talk to your doctor first. Do not put that in kidding. the show notes. Um, yeah, so so basically, growing up, I I didn't love. I really didn't love myself. I. I really was like someone who practiced extreme self-neglect physically, Mm. like in your very basics. And part of that just comes with trauma, like you really detach from your body and and your worth and all that stuff. And so, and it's almost like, yeah, you're just like so detached from your body. It's like things can be like literally going to hell and, and you're like, it's like you can't even wake up to it.
0: Right, like body disassociation.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: Yeah, I've experienced a lot of that too.
1: Yeah, it's very real. And so, growing up, like we, both my sister and I, our teeth were like not in the best shape. And um, but I really took it downhill through my teenage years and early twenties, where I just like was not brushing my teeth. Like I'm like telling you, like never brushing. Um. So by the time I was in my mid-20s, my teeth started falling out, mm. um, like cracking and falling out. I was in an extraordinary amount of pain. Yeah. And, you know, dental care in Canada, we have free health care, but dental care is so expensive.
0: Mm.
1: Um, And so, you know, and I was just not in a place where I could, like, afford all the work that I needed to be done. I remember going to a dentist and him being like, it'll probably cost, like, $20,000. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was very defeating. Yeah. And so there's something that happens, like, when, I don't know, like, when you have to come face-to-face with reality. So I've experienced this in so many ways, and I'm sure you have, and anyone who's listening might have. Like, you know, that like, a very common one is, like, you know, what you're just, like, kind of in denial about your bank account?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you like sit and you like, look in there and then you're like, Oh, <laughs> that's what, or like your credit card. And you're like, Oh, that's what's been happening here. Yes.
0: Definitely. <laughs> have had that moment a few times in life.
1: Yeah. So kind of like that. Um, where you like, where I like actually looked in the mirror and actually looked at my teeth and was like f- sort of faced with this reality, of what was really happening. And that I was losing my teeth. Um, in a miraculous turn of events, which is an insanely long story, but the synopsis is basically that I end up getting but I end up getting my bottom teeth pulled in a homeless shelter. What? And I got my top teeth fixed and I never paid for anything. Um it was like a true miracle. But also obviously not a not very like exciting. <laughs> um and I think, coming out of that, and like when my teeth were pulled and realizing like I've lost all my body teeth, and like they're never coming back. they don't grow back if you lose them and and realizing like I have to learn how to love myself, like I have to learn how to take care of myself, and I can't keep living like this and even at that time, like I was still an active addiction, and so my myself sabotaged my self-hatred would continue on in so many different ways. And I, and I actually wouldn't even really learn how to actually take care of myself for a couple years after that. So, and, or a few years after that, but it was kind of that wake up call moment, definitely a defining moment where I was like, something is not working. Like something needs to change.
0: Yeah. I had a moment similar to that at the end of last year. Um, where I just went through like three or four different health, not necessarily crises, but they were like really, I would say kind of scary at the time because I had no idea what was happening and none of the doctors I was going to really knew either. And it was like around my skin and then I had gut issues and my shoulder kept dislocating. And I had that moment too of like, I one, I'm not in a place where I can even work out. Like the doctor literally told me I wasn't allowed to sweat for like three months and my shoulder was dislocating, like all this stuff was happening. And in my mind, I'm like constantly trying to like lose weight or whatever, or have been in the past. And I was like, nope, it stops now because if I don't learn to love my body now, I'm never going to really. And I've had that realization a few times, but uh, it's so deeply ingrained. And so it takes a while to unlearn. So yeah, I really relate to you there is because I've had personally through my own trauma, some body disassociation as well. And mm-hmm. and it's just been so much, it's the healing journey towards like loving your body fully and wholly as it is, even through the evolutions, even though you don't have like, I don't know, this perceived body that you think you should. Um, that's not what's important.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Totally.
0: So I, I'm sure all the guests listening are, all the listeners listening are very curious and I I just want um, to ask you about this, but what was your addiction and and what was your journey to recovery in that? Mm -hmm. Well,
1: that's a very loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) But, so yeah, my addiction, was a sex addiction, online sex addiction, and I struggled intensely with it, like pretty much daily, for six and a half years, and mm. um, and so like when I was running the imperfect boss for those first years, I was struggling with an addiction really badly behind the scenes, and yeah, so mine was just was a lot of um, driven out of a desire to feel seen, mm. and so I took it to the like a a real extreme. And my addiction was like really based off exposure. Um, So exposing myself to the public. Um, So it was like a lot of naked photos and sex chatting and phone sex, a lot of risk and adrenaline. And it was all in a desire to feel seen. And recovery, uh, I mean, it took a long time to even begin recovery. And part of that um, was hard for me because I really struggled to find help. And it's one of the reasons I am passionate about talking about it because there is not a lot of resources out there for women specifically struggling with sex addictions. Right. Because it's something that
0: I feel like sex as a topic for women is so not talked about. So nonetheless, having a sex addiction, I can imagine there's an extra layer of just shame or, I mean, just like all the social stuff that comes with it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot more out there for men uh, in recovery. And yeah, so I really had a hard time and I really uh, struggled with hopelessness and despair. Like when you're in this behavior, that's so destructive it, that you, it, you feel so powerless and like that you feel like you can't stop. And then you try and try and try to get help. And everyone is just like sort of looking at you with like empty hands and empty eyes. And they just don't have anything to offer you. It just starts to create this real feeling of like, maybe this is it for me. And I, uh, but I didn't give up. I call it the flicker of hope within me. Didn't give up. And in January, 2018, finally found the help that I needed and uh it was a clinic here locally and i t- i always say that they gave me my hope back and um it was out of that that i was really able to go hard after recovery so i ultimately created my own recovery program so i pieced it together from like a bunch of different places wow because there wasn't anything that was all inclusive um so for example um Basically, my program was made up of five things. <laughs> it was made up of therapy mm-hmm. so dealing with dealing with the trauma that led to the addiction. Then secondly was recovery coaching. So having space to check in every single day with someone. And then thirdly, it was daily self-care. So that's when my self-care like really kicked itself into being. and it was non-negotiable for me. Like I created a really small, um, self-care routine I did every day like wash my face brush my teeth etc and it was like I became so diehard committed to it and <laughs> um, and I'm still to this day of like not doing that is not an option like going to bed without washing your face is not an option and mm. um, because it could put, it could put tomorrow you at risk and so that was the third one. And then um, community. So I did um, group therapy for sex addicts, but then I really committed long-term to church community. That's what it looked like for me. So just finding a space to actually be physically seen up close, mm-hmm. um, especially because my, my work at, the, at that time and still is very social media-rooted. And then just a, any other healing sort of modality. So, like, things like going on walks or reading certain books or whatever. Um, And I just, like, really committed to that. And by six months later, I was sober and I've been sober ever since, 20 months. And this, yeah, this month, 20 months.
0: When did, like, when in this journey did you realize you had trauma that needed healing?
1: So interesting because... Uh, I definitely knew that I had trauma from a couple things, but very, they were very much, you know, how we kind of have things. We all know that it's trauma. Mm-hmm. Like there's no doubt in anyone's mind, like war or like sexual assaults or, mm-hmm. you know, but um, I had no idea <laughs> the level of trauma that can be more subtle, but in some ways almost more damaging. Mm-hmm. And I had, and no idea that I had been traumatized by those things. And and so that that has honestly been a continuous wake up call. Probably one that I am still on, but have received significant healing in. Um and I think part of that is just like it's a survival it's like that survival mechanism because we're just like trying to survive our childhoods and then it's too dangerous to be like this is this is not okay. And so.
0: Yeah. Do you mind sharing what some of those like less nuanced things were?
1: Yeah. Um, so like, I had a lot of trauma from my mom, like sort of like some verbal abuse and, and, you know, she was mentally unwell in my very early years and all of that kind of stuff. I didn't necessarily see as, trauma. And I didn't even see her as like somewhat abusive Mm. because it was just like, Oh, that's just my mom. Like we can be mean sometimes. Right. Like you
0: think everyone's mom is like that maybe.
1: Yeah. Actually, this is going to sound really crazy, but let's say it anyway. When I was young one time I was really little and in the bath I would hear, I don't know. It's like, I would hear this voice in my head telling me like, really mean things like you're not worth anything like shut up like no one cares whatever and I remember I got out of the bath once and I told my mom and she said it's okay I hear voices too Mm. and I thought okay well (laughs) like everyone's hearing this and like being tormented by these horrible mean inner voices or wherever they're coming from and like meanwhile they're probably
0: not i think i I, yeah i remember hearing somewhere that oftentimes the voices in the way that like our inner talk often reflects how the parent that parents love that we wanted more um Mm. spoke to us and i always found that really interesting because i wouldn't say that like My parents were necessarily abusive, but I definitely, there have been moments where I'll, like, even in talking to my boyfriend, I'll be like, yeah, my dad totally used to say that. And he'll be like, seriously? Um, Yeah. But it's hard because for me, my parents are so different now. But that doesn't change that those are experiences that I now have to be intentional about healing and rewriting the script in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Exactly.
0: Yeah. And one thing that I love about this conversation so far is that's what I've also learned about trauma, is even in instances where it's like obviously trauma for a lot of people that aren't, haven't been in a place that are ready to process it or um, haven't gone to a place where they realize that it's safe to process it, they don't ever realize that it happened to them, even if they heard that story from someone else, they would be like, oh, that's for sure trauma. Like, that's definitely what that is. And that's definitely not okay. Um, Cause for me that that's kind of like the case that happened with me was somebody shared their sexual trauma and I was sitting in like a group li- and we were kind of sharing about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so terrible. I'm so sorry. That's. And in my head, I was like, yeah, that's absolutely what that is. And then I was like, I know what that feels like. And then I went home that night and was like, oh my God, like, no, you really know what that feels like. And that was my clicking moment of I, that's like, it was just like a big dark hole that I had no idea about. Um, But it really started my healing journey which is what I think is so powerful in our stories and why I admire you so much for sharing yours um, is because I think like some people will listen to this and find their own story in it. And then because of your story of healing and, and how bravely you've dove into it and also shared, it will unlock and spark theirs as well. So when in your pro- like journey, I know like through your own story, but what made you want to go into the trauma and mindset work now that you do?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely been as I've gotten further into recovery uh, and one realized how much the work of mindset and healing has transformed my life and wanting to offer that to other people, but then also realizing that I have a gift for it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I had known that like through, you know, through, you know, camps we had done for them, Perfect Boss, like the ability to create safe space. Um, And even when I wasn't coaching per se, you know, there was always so many reports of like people being really healed just through the space that I've, created through and even through the campaigns there's been lots of stories of that stuff and it's just so funny like you know how it's just like you don't realize i don't know it's like you can't always see yourself how others can see you um, and so i'm like oh i don't know what i'm gonna. anyway <laughs> <laughs> and then um i just started like really practicing some coaching stuff and realized that i really had a gift for like figuring out the patterns that people are in or the cycles that they're stuck in and why, and like how to disrupt cycles, like really being able to like see roots behind why people are doing what they're doing. Um, And specifically in the area of Mm self-sabotage. And now I'm like, let's see this all day, every day. (laughs) Mm.
0: so does this conflict with the work that you uh, you've done with imperfect boss or do you have like a vision of continuing both of them simultaneously
1: yeah they definitely really complement each other um the real true work of the boss i would say was the work that would be done at camps that Mm. we've done um and those times really become a time of like really sort of shedding the layers of everything that people have used to hide themselves and having an experience where they realize that they are so loved and held and supported both in their vulnerability and in their greatness. And so, you know, I think what sort of ties everything together is this vision and heart to continue to create like healing spaces that empower women to untangle from the past and to move forward and lead with their whole selves. So yeah, I am excited. I'm excited about it. It's all imperfect
0: boss is almost like the next, I wouldn't say the next step, but like as you're going through the healing process and stepping into who you really are, I feel like that's what I see or how I see it really supporting them on the other side as well.
1: Yeah, it's funny because with, you know, we were in camp two years in a row in this last one. A lot of times people come out of it and they don't know how to describe what just happened to them. Like it was, <laughs> It's like kind of the, that thing. I was talking to someone even last night who said I'm still speechless. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. But I remember when that she had told me that she feels like it was like the work of like five years of therapy, like in four days. Wow. And yeah, so I definitely, I definitely think you're right.
0: Yeah. Do you remember a moment where you recognized significant progress in self-love?
1: Um, I think I would say definitely when I started implementing that daily self-care routine. Mm. And when that routine became second nature, when it shifted from this is like something I committed to you, to you. Now this is just something that I do. And I You know started to have a lot of moments of Where I really felt Like such a radical difference In how I saw myself and I (laughs) I remember One time I was um, I looked at myself in the bathroom mirror And I like I like cut my face And like smiled Mm -hmm. Like I was so happy To see me (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and it was just like such a, such a picture of such tenderness and acceptance and love.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. What are one or two mindset tools or ways to shift your mindset into a more positive one that you either use with your clients or have, use personally? Hmm.
1: So like a lot of times, cause a lot of times for me, it's less about managing the mindset or like even trying to shift the mindset, but it's like, what purpose is that mindset serving you? Mm-hmm. Cause you're continuing to think that way because it's doing something for you.
0: Right. Even if it's negative, it's like giving you comfort in one way.
1: Yeah. So like, for example, if someone's like, like a common one of like, I'm not good enough. um. Being like, how does it keep you? Like, how does it keep you safe for you to keep thinking that? Mm. Because then maybe like you don't have to put yourself out there. Maybe you don't have to risk failure. because uh, you, you can just like constantly return to like, well, I'm not good enough, or it can even just be like the comfort in that of like that's something you believe most of your life, and so it's a it's familiar and it can be comforting in a in a weird way. So like that's one that I like to use for myself or my clients of just like figuring out what the purpose is. Cause if you can figure out what the purpose is, then it'll be easier to shift into a different mindset that actually supports you more.
0: Right. It supports you in an intentional way that you actually want it to serve versus it just subconsciously doing this.
1: Yeah. Um, I like to really think about you know like a way to shift mindsets is like the experiences you're giving yourself so one of the reasons why like both positive or negative mindsets like are so strong in us is because we like enforce them through experiences um like for example if i think like oh i'm like i'm a failure then anytime something that looks like it's about to fail or something that's Failing or someone doesn't notice me or whatever, like it's all gonna be seen as like validation and proof Of affirming that belief Mm -hmm. See, I told you I'm such a failure And the thing is like if you like most of our rooted beliefs go way back um, Like most of them like are before the age of seven, I think
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, your subconscious is completely formed by the time you're seven
1: Yeah and so, like, if you're, like, let's say you're, like, 27 now, like, that's 20 years of that, of you looking for, or, like, that belief being validated over and over and over and over again. And that's why I really believe that mindset transformation is is more of a long-term process because I, I kind of just, you know, kind of don't love how, like, you know, so, sometimes there's things out there that are, like, oh, just say, like, a bunch of affirmations and, like, you're it'll change or whatever because if you've been thinking something for 20 years and then you just say the opposite thing one time it's going to pale in comparison and every time you've validated that belief it's like gotten stronger and deeper and more rooted and so it's then instead about trying to figure out like how can you create more experiences that validate the truth and actually setting up experiences where that can be true. Um, so, for example, one of my, per- my personal ones has always been, um, one of my negative stories, I guess, has been, I am loved from afar, but hated up close. Mm. And social media kind of perpetuated that for me. Mm, yeah. So then I started creating situations where I let people see me up close, where I noticed like i noticed how big the, their smile got when they saw me <laughs> mm. or noticed like how it felt to be held or how they like walked faster towards me like when they saw me like little things like that um and like consistently put myself in those situations so that can even be like community or it was like even running the camp like i mean in some ways that's terrifying for someone who believes that people can't love you up close mm-hm And you're like, now you're like, how about a hundred of you come meet me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And actually camp and really running those events really transformed that mindset for me.
0: Wow. Yeah, I can see how that's so powerful. And I never thought about it that way of creating experiences that affirm um, the positive thought that you're to rewrite the negative one. So that's really, really brilliant and I can see so powerful. So,
1: who inspires you currently? It's a good question. Well, to be honest, can I give you an unconventional answer? Sure. Um, I honestly think it would be my niece, Emmy. She just turned two, <laughs> and I honestly feel like she changed. She's changed my life. Yeah. I learned a lot how to love myself through loving her Mm. and I'm really close with my sister and with my niece and, um, you know, I have had, you know, like one time I had a significant bet where I watched her for eight days, basically by myself. Mm -hmm. And it like pulled out that mothering part of me that then later helped me mother myself.
0: Mm. Wow inspires me yeah that's so beautiful and i can absolutely see that um i feel like animals and children have this crazy unique power to just really love unconditionally and pull that out of us
1: yeah yeah and like the freedom (laughs) that little kids can possess is amazing
0: well what are you working on and where can people find and support you
1: yeah, so um, I'm mostly working with clients right now, one-on-one clients, on mindset and healing. I'm also working on a book proposal, mm. and I would love to meet anyone and everyone who wants to be loved by me. Um, and yeah, I mostly hang out on Instagram. Um, I actually got in, but yeah, I'd love to meet you.
0: Yeah, she's great. You definitely should give her a follow if you don't already um, because she just oozes love every day and it's (laughs) incredible. And then she's also really real with the hard parts of life, which also help us all love each other and ourselves a little more.
1: Yeah.
0: Before I dive in in into the last few questions, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Ashley. Um, You really inspire me and empower me through the work that you do. And I know that's true for a lot of other people and women specifically out there. And so I just want to acknowledge you for being courageous and brave and stepping into the healing journey and also unlocking that for so many people. It's truly just beautiful. And I am so grateful that I get to have this conversation with you and also just know you and call you a virtual friend and sometime hopefully soon a real life friend thank you so much so if you had three truths that you could share with the world and every single person on this earth could hear um what would they be three (laughs) yes
1: three (laughs) number one I would say duh do whatever you can to create a life where you where you don't let your gifts stay inside. Mm. Secondly, I would say there's nothing that you could go through that someone else that hasn't already walked through. Mm-hmm. There is no shame too deep and no flaw too horrible. Um, but that, you know, like even just you having – Um, you know like walking through the darkness is proof that that there's light within you and that the light is coming for you and so yeah whenever you feel alone just remember you're actually not um and the third thing I would say is do the inner work (laughs) um it'll be better for you in how you feel in your life but it'll It'll change your relationships. It'll change how you get to show up in business and career. Like don't waste one more day. Yeah. Walking around with those wounds or fears or shame, not paid attention to lovingly by you. Cause that's all they want is to be seen and loved by you.
0: Mm, that's so good. I always say that that is the single most loving thing you can do for people in your life because yeah. if you're able to heal. You're able to really love like in a whole different capacity.
1: Yeah.
0: Hmm. What is the best relationship advice you have ever received or could give?
1: Um, Probably that not like, This is a random statistic, but probably the 97% of what you think people are thinking is not what they're thinking. Mm. So when you build those stories in your head about what they might be thinking about you or judging you or hating you, that it's likely not what they're thinking at all.
0: Yeah, it's very true. Like being in a relationship post healing from trauma and i've like finally gotten the tools to communicate those stories that i'm starting to believe um it has really just shook that belief and so now i'm way more quick to question those stories and so yeah i think that's very accurate
1: yeah and i think it's always better to be honest like this is what i'm believing the story i'm believing right now or this is what I'm afraid you're thinking instead of assuming, running, hiding, et cetera.
0: What does love or love intently mean to you?
1: Hmm. I think to me, it means fully seeing people in their humanity, but also in their extravagance. Um, of holding being able to love intently to me is being able to hold space for um, the light and the darkness that exists in every human being.
0: Thank you so much for listening, friends. If this episode resonated with you, be sure to share it with at least one person in your life today that you know will also positively be impacted by this episode and the incredible message that Ashley has to share. Or you could just share on your stories and tag us and let us know what resonated. We love hearing what resonates so that we can continue to produce content that resonates with you while we're recording this episode ashley was still in the process of developing this quiz but i am so excited to let you know that her quiz is now available her quiz is all about helping you identify how you self-sabotage and how to heal it she gives you a 10-page guide and breakdown over all eight types along with healing kickstarters for each so be sure to check that out that is on her website at ashleybudin.com. It's dot com. It will also be linked in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening, friends. And if you have an extra five minutes or a few minutes, really, please be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcast as it helps us greatly with the algorithms and helping other people find us. Thanks again, friends. Until next time, with love and intention.